0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Michael Kist. You caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak.
2: You never listen!
1: It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode one sixty five, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mister Nine Year Streak without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Ben, I didn't tell you in the pre-show. But this is the 500th episode blah, 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 of BGN since the relaunch. How you doing, brother?
2: Best dog on co-host is right. I'm big sick. <laughs> I sound awful for the 500th episode. I'm gonna be highly debilitated. I am on drugs, so I'm also <laughs> mentally not. It's gonna be a fun show. It's gonna be the 500th show. Is what it's gonna be. Is that's what it, That's what it, it'll be. It, it is what it is. Everything might be delicious. But I can't taste a lot of things because I have strep.
1: So there's that. Happy football. (laughs) Ben's going to have a good time on this one. We're going to have a good time on this one. We have a lot of different topics to talk about. Uh, First off, before we begin, I wanted to mention something that I linked in the show notes for this episode. My good buddy, Coach Vass had to deal with the misfortune of his mother passing away on Christmas and the expenses that come along with that have put him in a bit of a tight spot. So if you can find it in your heart this holiday season, to go to the show notes, click on the link, help him out. We would really appreciate it. Vass has been uh, extremely helpful to both me and Ben throughout the season. His podcast, Make Defense Great Again, is something I utilize all the time in prep for these shows. He's done free coverage clinics that me and Ben have been able to get in on. And he's been a great teacher to us throughout the season. And not only that, he's like a genuinely great dude. I play video games with him. I chat with him every day. And to have this happen to him on Christmas of all days is just terrible. So if you're compelled to do so, please click the link included in the show notes. Help our guy out. Thank you, gentle listener, for your generosity. All right, Ben, there is a lot to talk about today with the season. And uh, since we've last spoke, we've had not only the Eagles being crowned the NFC East champions, but also the Giants have fired head coach Pat Shermer while retaining general manager Dave Gettleman and his four new quote unquote computer folk. Also, Washington has fired Bruce Allen as general manager. They have hired Ron Rivera to be their head coach. That also brings us to the Dallas Cowboys. They are having a meeting with Jason Garrett to determine his fate. That's happening as we record, so we'll keep an eye out for updates. But the feeling is, is that Cowboys will let go of Garrett or really let his contract expire, which is basically like firing him. Ben, a lot has happened. Uh, any thoughts on all the shakings and movings and ups and downs in the NFC East, including NFC East champions, Philadelphia Eagles? Give it up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Remember when, like, oh what's Doug doing? Doug is bad. Every (laughs) NFC East coach that came into the season besides Doug is going to get fired. Jay Gruden has been fired. Patrick has been fired. Jason Garrett is, I would say, pretty probably going to get fired. Yeah, Doug's out here making the playoffs three times in his first four seasons. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It's like him and Mike Tomlin are the only two coaches in, like, forever to make it to the playoffs three times in the first four seasons and go to a Super Bowl in the first. And with Tomlin, it was like Cower retired or whatever Peterson inherited a roster that was gutted by the year of Chip Kelly GM the dark ages the yeah. eviscerating of the team goodbye LaShawn McCoy like this was not a good team when he got it and then he and obviously uh, a lot of Roseman credit as well able to build the team out to be something much better than it was but the, like the coaching job that Peterson's done it's been delightful and, and another way that you look at this Carson Wentz Entering the playoffs, a lot's going around. Oh, he uh threw for over 4,000 yards, uh, and not a single receiver went for more than 500 yards. I think that's wild. Hasn't thrown an interception in the red zone all year. It's great. Hmm. 16 touchdowns, one interceptions in the nine wins. It was tremendous. Carson's not out here doing like unbelievable, ungodly, uncrazy things, right? Peterson is. Peterson's yeah. the one who to me is his. Has scrapped together enough of a team to win four straight games in december very hard thing to do against four divisional opponents very hard thing to do with the division on the line very hard thing to do to make the playoffs for the third year in a row very hard thing to do and when, when you and i watch this film like there's better play from greg ward and deontay burnett did a couple things which was sick and and Isaac a good game and carson wise did great stuff great stuff boston scott nfc do offensive play of the week heck yeah brother But the the gestalt of it, the the linchpin of it all, really, you should say, is is Peterson and what he's been able to manufacture on the offensive side of the football with spare parts. And so Mm. I'm continuously blown away by the job Doug Peterson does as a schemer, a designer, and then as a motivator and a leader in the locker room. I think he's a fantastic head coach. Greatly enjoy him. Make some decisions I don't like. So would every head coach in all of the world forever, including like myself. I shared on Black Monday, uh, after the Eagles had won the NFC East, I shared an article which listed Doug Peterson. It was early December. It listed Doug Peterson after the Miami loss as one of the top five coaches on the hot seat in the NFL. And (laughs) I was just like, this is how quickly these things can change. It's so important to stay level-headed through the losses because all of a sudden, four wins, and we're reminded of what a great coach he is. So shout out Doug, shout out Jay, shout out Pat, and eventual shout out Jason. Ron Rivera now new head coach of the Washington Redskins, confirmed. That's a big win for Washington, in my opinion. I don't think that team okay. is going to become the analytic powerhouse you know, to fight with the Ravens and the Eagles and the Patriots for the next 10 years. But Washington probably wasn't going to be that, no matter who they hired. So Rivera's a good high, because he's going to get you to a place where you're consistently competing. He's going to level you out. New York and, and Dallas, who knows? Um, but I think Washington did, had a great step forward with the Rivera hire.
1: And they still got to figure out the general manager situation. They've got a whole search going on for that. But I agree, Ron Rivera is a good NFL coach. Might not be a great one. He's not a bad one. Right. But it's a solid hire and somebody that can deal with the uh the roster that they have there.
2: I'm curious to see if Washington's going to, or Dan Snyder, I should say, is going to want to bring in uh, John Dorsey, who was just fired by Cleveland. I bet yeah. you Snyder's going to like. Dorsey a lot. But also, I don't know if Rivera is going to want to work with Dorsey. So that's the tricky thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. You got to figure out those dynamics. But like you said, a lot of turmoil going on right now in the NFC East and a lot to talk about with them going on throughout the offseason. But Doug Peterson, no questions about him. And it's not the offseason for the Eagles. They are headed into the playoffs. And they have a roster move too. One that uh, was a heavily talked about player between me and Ben, heavily debated player between me and Ben in the (laughs) offseason. Elijah Holyfield, the Georgia running back who was with the Panthers uh, for a bit. Has been signed by the Philadelphia Eagles was a guy who I really loved his tape. I think both both me and Ben loved his tape. I think we both had questions about his speed and and so on and so forth. Of course, he runs a four seven eight at the combine and completely it's tanks his stock, fine. He'll be okay. which was the big concern with him coming out. But w- w- when I said, I think I tweeted this out earlier in the year, I said the the running backs for the Eagles next year are going to be Miles Sanders, Boston Scott and two random Madden generated no pick 80 plus trucking players and Elijah Holyfield is that 80 plus trucking type player Ben what do you think about this? And there's one more to come by the way before I kick it to you there's one more signing to come because they're going to move Brandon Brooks unfortunately to IR so that's going to open up another spot so there is more moves coming but right now we know that Elijah Holyfield is an eagle Ben your thoughts
2: now Holyfield was previously on a practice squad Panthers yep right now this is I uh, actually I was wondering about this I was like Can we take players off the practice squad of other teams who are not in the playoffs while we're in the playoffs? I did not know if we could or not. And we can't, which is great news because the Eagles are in a very weird spot where they're still competing in the playoffs and also have a ton of roster room because of injuries to just grab young players for the future. You know, much like they did with Boston Scott late in the 2018 season. So yeah, I liked Holyfield coming out on film. I thought he was a great running back. Then he tested booty. And that's a problem. Love him in short yardage. I he's got uh, uh, fantastic footwork. I love his vision. I like the decisiveness. I think he's got great instincts in the tight areas and space. If he's going to be anything at the NFL level, he's going to be a short yardage guy. He's going to be a ground and pound between the tackles, big body, leverage, win with power, fall forward, pick up dirty yardage sort of a player. But once you have the terrible jumps that he did and the terrible 40 that he did, it's pretty evident you're not going to be able to create explosive plays. And obviously what the NFL wants is explosive plays. And the Eagles need explosive plays, especially out of their running backs, Because they're not getting explosive plays out of anybody else right now, which is why you had multiple 10 plus yard receptions from Boston Scott, 10 plus yard runs from Sanders uh, in, in the game against the Giants. Because the Eagles need to generate explosive plays with their running backs, that's their only option. So I don't foresee him taking significant snaps, though I guess Jordan Howard could still be not ready to go, even though he suited up for week 17. Obviously, yeah. we've heard Miles Sanders is just a low-grade sprain, which is great news, if you believe anything the Eagles medical department says, which I do not, so we'll see. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to be counting my eggs until they've hatched, matured, feathered, whatever the heck. However old chickens get, that's how <laughs> I will wait for my eggs to hatch when it comes to the Eagles medical department. This doesn't make any sense. We I don't <laughs> trust the Eagles. Miles Sanders might not play. I don't think Holyfield's gonna be necessary. I think this is just grabbing a guy off a practice squad you want to see if you can develop and make him a good player. We'll see.
1: Let's transition over to the Eagles Giants game. Talking about some film review, we both broke it down and whatnot. And I, I real quickly, I'll give some quick thoughts and then kick it to you because I got to do the recap show with BLG, May He Forever Rain, because you were at a wedding service and did not get to watch the game. In fact, the last play that you saw was the Barkley 68-yard scamper. Yeah, I
2: was in big panic mode.
1: And then you come back and you see that the Eagles win. But, I mean, you you look at this offense overall, their scheme, you know, you see a lot of trips. and And whether you want to call it 11 personnel or 12 personnel at this point, It really does not matter because they're using Goddard and Perkins in a lot of receiver type reps. For instance, Perkins ran 41% of his snaps from the slot. Goddard was 37%. Together, they combined for 23 reps out wide. Now, it's great to have versatile guys like that to where you can line them up all over the formation. But the problem is, without the natural separators to complement that, you, you see a lot of cases in this game where I felt there was nothing open for Carson. There was airtight coverage. And as such, Giants defensive coordinator, we warned you about this in the the preview shows, he was not afraid to leave his guys in man coverage and send heat. And you saw the Eagles money down numbers four for 13 on third and fourth down combined. And the Eagles saw a lot of long distances on those downs that, quite frankly, they are not equipped to handle. So that's a problem that I saw in the film that's going to translate to next week because there are issues there. And look, props to Josh Perkins again. Props to Dallas Goddard, who looked uh, excellent. I'm
2: not sure I'm not sure we need to be saying such hasty things as props to Josh Perkins. That feels a little ambitious.
1: I mean, he is doing a better job than Mack Hollins, so
2: Mac Hollins was so good at lining up at different places. How dare you?
1: He wasn't though. He wasn't though. But Josh <laughs> Perkins is. But uh Deontay, you know, Deontay Burnett comes up with a big catch. You know, Robert Davis, it's called back, but he had a fantastic catch. So there are guys making plays, but at the same time, you do worry about this offense. And I think you said the same thing during the game that uh, you know, this this Eagles offense just can't handle third and long situations. They're going to have to have early down success moving forward. What did you see from the offense uh, overall when you took a look at the film?
2: Yeah, no, the main thing that you experience offensively is this is uh, a team that for the past few weeks has needed to nickel and dime their way down the field in order to be successful. Nothing changed against the Giants. So then that begs the question, how did the team manage to score 34 points? Because obviously we've been talking about them successfully nickel and diming. In the context of, like, you know, long drives and scoring 20 total points in a game. Well, the Eagles had 17, 20 points. And then you have the Malcolm (laughs) Jenkins fumble recovered by Fletcher Cox at the 2. That becomes a touchdown. And then you have the Giants go for it on 4th and 3 from their own 39. And that becomes a turnover on downs, which then becomes a touchdown. So, you have yourself short fields generated by turnovers. And this is complementary football. This is unit helping unit. This is the defense helping the offense. And so you get these short fields and now you don't need to string together three third down conversions and a fourth down conversion to get the scoring range. You're already there to begin with. And that that like for cause like that drive after the, the turnover on downs, where the Eagles were up, I believe it was 27-17 at this time. First and 10 is a a, a a negative run, a loss. Second and thirteen is an incompletion. Third and 13, the Eagles get the whole field out of Boston Scott. All they needed was one third down conversion. Now it ended up being third and 13, well-executed screenplay. This is the famous spin move by Boston Scott, but it got him all the way down to the two, and then Scott ends up banging it in. Not only does this like 39-yard screenplay not have the same effect if this drive is starting at your own 20, you're also probably not even calling it. On third and 13, you're probably calling something that has more downfield routes in the first place. So this is the advantage of being able to play on your opponent's side of the field, on having those short fields. So the Eagles offense didn't really, like they did create 34 points. Uh, Short fields helped a ton. But this was, again, a team that mostly succeeded by nickel and diming down the field by staying ahead of the six, by getting into manageable second and third downs. Once we got to third and longs, it was a very frequent prayer and punt team, right? Like, we're going to hope that we get this one-on-one coverage. If we don't get it, we're going to have to punt the ball away. Kudos to the defense, who I thought played better mm. than I anticipated them doing in this matchup. And that's what helped the Eagles put up those 34 points.
1: They got a lot better individual performances from the defense than I think we've seen for for a lot of the season. It was, it was the whole unit played well together in this game i thought and, and but but to, going back to your point here i mean newsflash drives end sometimes and it's not always on the quarterback you you look at the fourth and seven yeah you know, talking about the struggles with this offense and there's a lot to dissect in this one but this is just a blitz from james betcher he brings a lot of heat there is nobody open and that's something that the eagles are going to have to deal with i mean also on this play big v just gets planted by the rookie oshane Zimenez. And uh, puts up, put on his butt here, so that oh, we're shame. we're hoping we're hoping for the return of Lane Johnson very soon. Looking around at some of the some of the offensive players, I, I think uh, we'll we'll start with Carson Wentz and kind of dial in on his performance. I think the big thing for the Eagles was letting the Bronco Buck Carson Wentz on the move. In space, off play action, also extending plays as well. When you get him into a position where he's not sitting in a pocket with all this chaos around him, you get him out into space, and you give this unit of wide receivers that's struggling to separate a longer period of time in which to separate. I mean, the touchdown to Perkins, the twenty, the the at the uh, quarter two, 201, the first and ten rollout went on the hoof with time to survey the field and pick his shots while also affording that group more time to separate. And Wentz's decision here to cut across the grain with this throw is interesting because typically you don't want that, but he makes this decision as Perkins is covered, but the outside corner has hips open to him. Wentz knows that corner is going to have to turn and run with Perkins to get there, and at that point, you'll have his back to the ball. I have a theory on this play. Yeah.
2: Right, you said you don't want to put your hips against the grain and throw this ball, right? Typically, that's not what's taught. It's a dangerous play. Why are you doing that? But also to me, this look, like this is very clearly designed, right? So this play is meant yep. to model three-level flood, balls the the 24-yard line. We're gonna get a play action zone flow left, we're gonna roll go to the right, and we're going to have what looks to potentially be a tight end screen release, maybe a tight end release into the flat. We have Greg Ward being the, the deep the, excuse me, the intermediate crosser from the opposite side of the field, and then Josh Perkins should fade into the back pylon back corner of the end zone. He instead gives that corner look and then cuts to the post and flattens across the field. And what I think is the read here is middle field closed, middle field open. Because what you expect from this is a quarter's look from from the Giants. What you expect from the middle of the field safety here is to potentially sit and rob down onto Mm. Greg Ward in cover three. But because they're in quarters, he continues to bail back, he continues to bail back, he continues to bail back. And that's what gives... Outside corner 27, I think it's Sam Beal. Maybe not. Yeah, I can't I remember. So. Anyway, when he so he thinks that that near corner is going to be able to eat up what looks to be a corner post. He thinks that that near safety is going to eat up the, the corner post. It's going to go to the middle of the field. And he's going to be fine. So he keeps just bailing deep, bailing deep, bailing deep. And then Perkins flattens this route off and screams it to the opposite pylon, which is a great way to beat a check cover to middle of the field crossers because that corner to the outside – who has a crosser running away from him, Greg Ward running away from him, he's going to be responsible for middle of the field. So he's going to be closing middle of the field because he's expecting you to go corner post. Meanwhile, you go corner post, but then you flatten the thing out. You go directly across his face. By the time like Carson starts gathering his weight, the second he yeah. sees that that corner drop into the deep middle, he knows he's going to throw this thing to space and ask Perkins to go get it over the corner. And that's what he does. I think this is a super sick design. If you go and you watch the Robert Davis and Deontay Burnett Deep balls, which are back to back plays to uh one another, uh twelve seconds left in the third, and then the first play of the fourth. They both follow similar ideas in that they present flood in one direction, but they're really trying to go the other way with it. With Robert Davis, mm-hmm. they end up getting pure man coverage, so it's just a leverage throw against man, which Carson Wentz puts in an insane spot. And then the Deontay Burnett bomb is my favorite play of this game. This is so freaking cool. All right.
1: Yeah. What a throw. So so it's like sale, right? Yeah. Is that is that? So the it's yeah. it's
2: three level flood right yeah but what's cool is the play action when you're running play action flood which way do you send the offensive line like if you envision it in your head there's going to be a play action fake from under center it's going to be a bootleg when you envision it the quarterback boots away from the the motion of the offensive line the offensive line zone blocks one way i open my hips that way i fake it to the back that way and then i turn around and i run into unblocked space that's your typical look for a zone play action deep shot three level flood cool the Eagles, and we talked about this like five weeks ago, yeah. run a concept called same-side single-back power that looks yeah. like zone initially on the the, the footwork of the backside the, the back of the offensive line. Cool. The Eagles here run three-level flood with a play-action look that is not zone. It's a play-action look of same-side single-back power, which means that Carson Wentz boots towards where his offensive line is. He does not boot away from offensive line. And you've got Matt Pryor, Vati Vaitai in right now. That's the right side of the line. Carson Wentz boots behind them. But at the snap, they all initially work to the right side because this is pretending to be same size to go back power. So Matt Pryor pulls. Jason Peters looks like he's going to combo and climb up to the second level. But everybody stays within one yard of the line of scrimmage. And then Samalu, Kelsey, uh, Vaitai, and then Josh Perkins as the tight end are all in place with leverage to the boot side. Which is huge mm-hmm. because nobody even sniffs Carson Wentz on this play. He had ten thousand years to read this or choose to run with it because you did not pedal offensive line away from the boot. You you got to move it towards the boot because the play action you gave wasn't zone. It was same side single back power, which you've set up because you've ran it the entire year. So this was this is such a nifty little design in yeah. what it gives the box and how that allows the Eagles to boot Carson Wentz into protection into space where nobody's going to be near him and then yes you have a two-level flood underneath Deontay Burnett Burnett gives the slight lead like he's just going to run a clear out route down the seam and then he snaps it back inside for the deepest corner route you've ever doggone saw so Carson Wentz puts a
1: ball
2: on the young man 40-yard completion this is this is 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 the the levels to describe how cool this is are tough to, to reach and this is awesome stuff
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I I thought there was some great stuff from Carson, especially on the move. It feels like the Eagles have gotten his legs involved more in recent weeks yes. than they had in the past. And he's been very accurate in those situations. Carson can sling it when he's on the hook. And brother, let me tell you, too, let's talk about some other quick offensive performances here before we kick it over to the defensive side of the ball. But uh, the catch, I mean, we got to bring up Dallas Goddard. The catch by Dallas Goddard in the third quarter, 338 on third and eight with the score tied up at 10. This would keep a go-ahead drive alive, which is the type of heroics they need on third and long. This guy, Goddard, has come up big when his number has been called in these situations late, uh, late in the season. He has a gorgeous toe-tapper on this one. Over the shoulder, just a beautiful catch. He's got over 600 yards on the year now, which ranks 10th among tight ends. He is top 10 for yards per route run out of the slot on this season per PFF. Like this guy is being absolutely productive. And you ask, well, why, why do you draft Dallas Goddard? If you're going to extend Zach Ertz and all this other stuff. Well, number one, they run 12 a lot. Number two, this is the type of production that you can get with Dallas Goddard when he's put in a situation like this where he has to step up. It's Just another tool in the toolbox of an offense that is severely lacking playmakers. So seeing Dallas Goddard step up like that in a big time moment was fantastic to see anything else that you saw from the offense yeah
2: pen? so a point on that one of the things that happened which blows is that Ertz is out and we should reasonably expect Ertz to be out in week in weeks uh the wildcard weekend for the rest yes yeah because if he lacerated his kidney which is what we believe happened then he's big beaten up what happened which sucks is on a lot of the two tight end concepts the eagles ran they didn't put perkins into Ertz's job and then leave Goddard in Goddard's job. They put Goddard in Ertz's role, and then Perkins in Goddard's role. Like, right. if you go to 14-13 in the fourth quarter, uh, this is second and 10, they run the little two vertical release out of the nub set, out of the YY wing. But Goddard has to be on the inside, and Perkins has to be on the outside of this route, because Perkins yeah. cannot be on the inside in line, because he cannot block. And so, now Goddard runs the over, which attracts the sinking linebacker and the whole defender in the middle of the field safety and this is what Zach Ertz usually does and then yeah. perkins is running the little seam route with the outside bend that goddard runs so successfully and it's an incomplete pass it gets broken up on uh the corner does a nice job sitting on it and he makes the pass for got, but that's commendable and everything like that that's great whatever but the eagles tried to hit this a couple times with perkins in the red zone and they never got it with him this this little bender route that they're so used to doing because He simply is not a good route runner and not as good of a route runner as Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz are. But then also he doesn't have the same physicality that they do. He's not as big. And so it's harder for him to box out to win these contested catches relative to what Goddard and Ertz usually do. So that's a little frustrating, but they do such a good job getting Goddard involved in other ways, i.e. screen game. And then they get him involved on deep breaking routes still pretty consistently, which is something they never do with Zach Ertz. uh, And he kills that. So that's fantastic to see. Another thing I really love from a scheme perspective the Giants, early in this game, were giving the Eagles trouble in their blocking scheme by uh, what's called like lagging or leaking the nose tackle in the backside of A-gap. So you line up your mm. nose in the front side A-gap. And then we'll, we'll grab a quick play as an example. We want to go to 13:59 first quarter. It's going to be a, a, a rush for nothing. Miles Sanders, under center, at the snap we have number 94, Dalvin Tomlinson. He's in the, the front side A-gap where the play wants to go. But immediately at the snap, he's going to shoot into the backside A-gap right with the snap. So he immediately crosses Jason Kelsey's face. And then the middle linebacker who wasn't backside A-gap immediately closes downhill to fill frontside A-gap. So you're switching the nose, switching the middle linebacker. The Eagles make a lot of checks and calls based off of the middle linebacker, most teams do. But the, the leverage of the nose is what's important here because Kelsey mm. goes to seal him off on, a, on the zone block. He overshoots him because he's shooting the backside A-gap. He penetrates upfield. Now, meanwhile, Brandon Brooks has to try to make this angle on the middle linebacker, and that's a really tough angle to make because he expects him to fill backside A, which is Brooks' gap. But it says Philly filling frontside A. So it's over near where Sam Malo is. The Eagles are out leveraged by these two players. Meanwhile, Lorenzo Carter absolutely murders Isaac Sam Malo. This is a play for nothing, whatever. If you go just immediately to the second drive, right? Like they had one meeting on the sidelines about this. You can go to Miles Sanders with a 21-yard run. This is 728 in the, in the, in the first quarter. What do the Eagles do? It's a very similar concept. They're running zone front side again to the left. Once again, the nose tackle. This time, Dexter Lawrence is in the frontside A-gap. This time, when he spills backside A-gap, Kelsey comes at him thick and pops him. Combo block. Pops him right over into Brandon Brooks' lap. And then Kelsey gets off the block. He's the one who handles the the middle linebacker, closing into the frontside A-gap. Instead of trying to outreach him to the play side, he just takes his backside shoulder, drives where he wants to go. Miles Sanders cuts up the A-gap. This is a 21-yard gain. The, the, The Giants spent the entire first two drives leaking, lagging the, the, the nose tackle into the backside A-gap, and then after this, just didn't do it anymore. They came yeah. in and they were like, listen, we're going <laughs> to screw with their zone reads this way, and literally Jason Kelsey and Jeff Stalin were like, yeah, we're just going to combo block yeah. this instead of asking Brandon Brooks to climb to the second level, and it's not going to work anymore. And they completely lost it. They, they trapped them, they did a lot of really good stuff, screwing with that nose tackle. The Giants had to abandon it and it let the Eagles get back into their base package of running the football pretty quickly. So it was a really nice on-site adjustment. At least what I want—that's what I think happened. Uh, for Kelsey Brooks and Stoutland to go to the the, the sideline for the first drive, and say, "Listen, they're doing this. They're you know dropping and saying, yeah, we got to trap this guy, then we got to be able to scoop block him instead of asking me to take him and take that.' That's the that's the advantage you have." with Brooks in there, with Matt Pryor, that's a much more difficult conversation because you don't have the same yeah. chemistry between Kelsey and, Bro- and and Pryor that you have with Kelsey and Brooks. It's harder to pass that block off.
1: Ben, crushing the offensive side of the film review, even while sick. It's very commendable. Yeah, do you,
2: you hear how bad this is getting? Okay, go to break so I can blow <laughs> my nose.
1: We're going to go to break so that Ben can blow his nose. <laughs> we will be right back. And we are back here on The Kist and Solak Show, episode 165 and 500 for BGN since the relaunch. Thank you for joining us, gentle listener. This, of course, is all brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist, here with Benjamin Solak. So we cover the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles. Let's switch side to the defensive side of the ball, which... Had some changes in the middle of the game. Avante Maddox was beat up, but I thought he had a really good game. Overall, like I said before, as far as like the whole unit goes, I felt like a lot of different players had some really good games. I think Timmy Jernigan really stood out to me. And Timmy Jernigan has had a kind of like a volatile season from week to week. He can be, you know, he can be pretty much anything. He can be high, low, he can be in the middle. This game I felt was one of his better ones. And he uh, he got a sack for for his trouble for it. Avante Maddox, good game by him. Even though he was banged up, Malcolm Jenkins continues to perform well. Rodney McLeod was bringing some thump, and I thought overall as well that he had a good one. Brandon Graham made some splash plays and played strong throughout. Even guys like, like Nathan Gary, I thought, had a decent game. And then Derek Barnett hits two successful spin moves in the same game, and if he would have had a sack... Ben was going to have to buy his jersey, unfortunately.
2: I don't know if an inside spin move against Nate Solder counts, all right?
1: He's a star at the highest paid uh, spin <laughs> yeah, cycle in the league, brother. It's
2: funny because I was like, <laughs> yo, Vinny Curry's the good inside rusher. Get him against this fan protection. And then meanwhile, Derek Barnett, brother, did his film study, which was which was one Damn. of the pros on his scouting board coming out. But he knew. Listen, I'm getting wide sets and I'm coming inside on folks. And he did a really, really good job reading sets and attacking with the inside counter. That's exactly what you want to see from this player, given how he's developed thus far. That's the area of his game that he needs to win with. And I thought he did a good job there.
1: Yeah, I agree. And the Eagles did a lot of different things with their blitz packages. And they used uh, Brandon Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett on some stunts. The stunt from Brandon Graham came on it. Well, they got a sack on inverted cover two. Would you believe it, Ben? Yes. I mean, the... The, the key was the three man stunt with Brandon Graham coming from like a kicked in like four eye spot all the way across the formation. But on third and eight, the coverage had things pretty well covered, too. And they weren't stressed in a manner that typically gives them issues in inverted cover two, like a receiver coming from one side to the deep middle. But, you know, we'll take the small victories uh, overall. One player I've, I felt that uh, was kind of up and down. Rasul Douglas, and we might need him in the playoffs. Uh, I thought he got picked on a bit in this game, especially to start the third quarter. The touchdown to Tate was one where he just couldn't make a play on the ball and the next drive they come right after him with an orbit burner concept so he has to cover this deep route but even that one at then if you're following along at home on Game Pass that's at uh, 730 in the third quarter second and six he's got a trek all the way across the field and he just can't against Darius Slayton which is no surprise because Slayton has 4-3 juice and the is to blame here too because they're asking Crave on the to, to come from the line he then rotates to deep safety and he just doesn't get yeah, connected man. either
2: teams have figured out out if we motion the slot and <laughs> jet, they'll kick their slot corner to single high.
1: That's they can't play safety
2: because slot corners aren't <laughs> good at playing single high. Which that's the thing is like I was trying after the Washington game because Washington got the Eagles on this a couple times. There was the the play where Vontae Maddox playing single high, yep, and the Cherry McLaurin touchdown was off of that. There was debate on Twitter about how well Maddox played the 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 responsibility in the rock and roll. Where where the where the safety's rock and roll, where in jet motion, the corner who was on the jet motion player drops the single high safety, and then the single high safety goes and cuts off the jet motion player. That gave up a big touchdown. Then you have a, a near big play on it with, with, with the Darius Slayton throw. All right, I guess and it wasn't it was a big play, I should say. Yeah. Hopefully there's, you know, somebody in the analytics department being like, Hey Jimbo, when you do this, <laughs> good things happen to the other team. Yeah. But I uh <laughs> I struggle to blame Sewell for the Golden Tate touchdown, man. I mean, so... That's
1: a tough play. Yeah,
2: it's deep crossers. They hand it off really nicely. And then he... I mean, he physically cuts off Golden Tate. He he out-leverages him. Daniel Jones been in the pocket for three, three and a half seconds at this point. He scrambles. Jones puts a great throw. Golden Tate makes a great catch Big sufficiently physical with douglas douglas obviously not able to get his head around which is which is a disappointing thing but in no way was he in a poor coverage position or did he do anything technically wrong I mean, The defense pass interference penalty was stupid in my opinion so i have no issue with yeah, how he played this there's probably he probably cut off golden tate and fell asleep a little bit and, and stopped playing at 100 late into the play but um beyond that like I, I didn't have any big issues with that slaying right is like that's what he's gonna lose to but the issue is yeah. So he loses to Slayton on that huge 33-yard catch and run. And it's like, you know, this is how we remember it. The same way we could have remembered Rasul Douglas as the reason we lost to the Cowboys because he got burned by Taylor Austin. Meanwhile, everybody's talking about an extension of Sidney Jones on the very same freaking drive. Five forty-four, third and four. Sidney Jones (laughs) at man coverage just does not move his feet. Gets unbelievably toasted by Sterling Shepard. Don't you dare. Marcus Epps isn't even in the same zip code as this play. Don't you dare. Yeah, and it ends up being incomplete because Daniel Jones completely shorts it. and hits Sidney Jones in the back as he's trying to recover. So we got to, you know, with our corner play, we got to be a little bit more process-based. Jones, I don't know. Like, he was... Here's what was tricky about Jones. Jones was so good at press coverage coming out of Washington, but you knew he couldn't play that at the NFL level. Here he is in off coverage, third year, and obviously it's been a generally insane career for Jones, but he's struggling and off, and he needs to be good and off for how quick he is. Which he just needs to activate his yep. feet. Like this is just day one install stuff.
1: I-, I thought overall Jones, cause a lot of people asked me, because you know, I'm a big Sydney Jones guy coming into the season. They asked me about his performance. And look and here we are. It is December 31st. It's going to be 2020 when this airs. So still in 2020, we are going to be trying to figure out what to do with this cornerback group. And Cindy Jones had some key plays. I really love the, the the one where he drove on the slant. I put that up on there on Twitter. He got up nice and tight and, and made a play. And then he had the interception in a cover two zone where he kind of It was a good play. Yeah, it was, it was it was a solid play. That's that's what you should do with no threat in front of you. You get depth and you end up you know putting yourself in a position to make a play on the ball. He's got two interceptions on the year and has had come up with some huge plays. But overall, as you said, there are some flaws on this film as well some consistency issues. I mean, the one where he yoked Saquon Barkley trying to get out to the flat, that one was weird. And going back to like Rasul too, like Rasul wasn't all bad. Like, I I feel like I'm picking on a little bit, so I want to bring up a good one. I'll I'll give him credit on the long ball uh, in the fourth quarter. 13-minute mark against Slayton who gets on top of him a little bit which again Slayton 4-3 but Rasul does a good job while not in phase of playing through the hands and earns a breakup so that wasn't all bad and he had another breakup like that closing down uh, Caden Smith from his zone where he got his hands on the ball. Caden
2: Smith player was a good play.
1: Overall shaky with some of the same uh, unsurprising issues but some solid plays mixed in too. I'll say Maddox had a great uh, great breakup on I forget the timestamp, but he, he had a nine ball that he stayed in phase four, looked back leaned into the receiver made the made the breakup so like there were some plays there to be made for the secondary and they uh they they came up with most of them so it could have been a lot worse and it wasn't so thankful for that and we actually got some ball skills in the air from the Eagles corners in this game which has not been the case from the outside corners for the majority of but the season.
2: The other corner who deserves mention for ball skills is
1: Crav- LeBlanc?
2: Yeah Cravon who, he was good. I don't know if there's a way that you can create a roster spot that exists exclusively for the postseason or just generally <laughs> like play important games in like December. Season? But yeah. I like obviously we didn't see LeBlanc for the beginning of the year because of the injury or whatever. But it's just insane how two years in a row the Eagles have been massively struggling at the corner position and rise are going to the playoffs this cat just crevon LeBlanc is like what if i'm actually really good and you're like oh well that would be awesome and he's like yes i'm gonna be really good for these football games then obviously he didn't have a, he didn't have the greatest game against the bears uh in the wild card round but like he was like a legit like starting quality impact nickel corner yeah. i mean the the, uh-huh. the third and seven pass breakup in the first quarter uh it's like 806 or something as the timestamp. this is you know golden tate on a shake route in the slot this is like a nightmare for a slot corner Le- LeBlanc just sits with him, super patient, physical, flips his hips, hands into the catch point. I mean, it's textbook coverage. Like, this if the, if this is healthy LeBlanc, healthy LeBlanc's a starter. You know, well, we'll the Eagles have too many good nickel players. You need to get some good outside players. Malcolm Jenkins, Avante <laughs> Maddox, Cravon LeBlanc is the best possible nickel defending trio of people you could ever have. And then they just have no outside corners to go with it whatsoever. <laughs> So yeah, I thought LeBlanc, LeBlanc deserves a shout out as well for corners, ball skills, making some impact plays.
1: I wanted to uh, get your thought process on what was going through your head during the game. We'll talk about the Saquon touchdown here, and we'll break it down first. I'm going to get your thoughts, but that, that that was something else, man. Quarter three, 2-16, first and 10. First play of the drive after the Eagles go up 17-10. to 10. It's the most Eagles thing ever to do to immediately give up the big one. This one goes 68 yards, and look. Barkley is special. You get Gary kicked out, Bradham is sealed off, Jones is locked up, Graham is held up just long enough, and McLeod takes what I think is a bad angle from his what deep What you safety think spot is a ball. bad angle? It's a pretty bad angle, isn't it?
2: What is he looking at?
1: <laughs> I don't know. He's like going inside, and in it's it's obvious. It's in the, Anyway, but all these things happen and allow Barkley to scamper nearly untouched. I mean, the guy threw up the peace sign at the Eagles' 48-yard line. He knew that nobody was catching them. Ben, as you're at the wedding service about to go in and you see this play, what's going through your I'm mind? I'm
2: positive they're going to lose the football game. I was so sure the whole time. I was like, well, so sad that the Eagles are about to lose this 20 to 17. Can't get over it. will die. By the time I got out of the service, it was done, done, and it was thirty-four seventeen. I was legit so happy, and then I went through all of the plays, and I was like, deep pass complete? Deep pass complete? Deep pass complete? I was, like, so surprised. <laughs> I saw that Jake Elliott hit a 50-yarder, and nobody yeah, added me. Screw you guys with room to spare, you freaking idiots. I uh, you know, every single... He,
1: he does not miss the clutch ones. Every single... The
2: all once. the names of all you <laughs> cowards who failed and left and, and forsaken the okay whatever he's really good yeah I like Jake Elliott yeah so I saw that and that was good I initially when I was like yo Malcolm Jenkins fumbles must have been such a cool play and then I saw the Daniel Jones basically just dropped the ball and I was like all right that's still fine I'll take it I mean beggars can't be shooters at this point
1: <laughs> that was the big moment where I was like holy crap right. the rest and then I and didn't then realize Scott.
2: how good of a game Boston Scott had and, and how critical he Ooh. was until I saw his First, he got the player of the week, and then I saw his stat line, and then I watched the film, and I was like, oh, Miles Sanders, like, in my head, Miles Sanders missed, like, part of the second half. No, he missed, like, three quarters. Mm-hmm. And Scott was like, yeah, I'm a bell cow now. You can, can deal with it. Like, this is what I do, <laughs> all right? This is what I was built for. That's why I'm 5'8" put the world on my shoulders
1: uh, sanders had like 45 scrimmage yards and like by the middle of the first quarter he was balling yes. and then he goes out and you're like oh my god honestly honestly what's going on and here dude, the and right low-key
2: the clutchest play of the entire game was the boston scott one-handed screen oh catch yeah. on first and ten i'm looking for where it is
1: because Wentz is under pressure and he's got, he's got a float one and Boston Scott is like 4 foot 7 so there's not a huge target right. to deal with the fact that he was able to wrangle this thing in was pretty incredible considering some of the drops we seen. If you
2: want some like awful football analysis right just like not good scouting analysis but just fan analysis on this play when Boston Scott takes enough out of the linebacker because like he like like goes like like yeah. he puts his body into it as if he's gonna block him and then he like lays him right he like spins him and that makes him over pursue carson and then scott's able to survive that contact flip his hips and still get into his screen path in time but he's obviously a little bit behind ball gets floated he corrals it one-handed while spinning in the air like one-handed <laughs> catches are hard he does it while rotating so he lands in a position where he can run up the field when you watch this play you're like yeah this kid's the man. Like, this is just like, the, you can't make plays like this without just like being like in flow. Like, we were just like, I can, I'm a good football player. You know, this is not, this is not like a backup play. Like, oh, shoot, I have to be good. This is just like, I'm Boston Scott. My position on this team is sound. I'm a big deal. I'm the reason this offense is running. Call me Carson Wentz. It was su- it's just like such a good quality, fun play. And he deserved all the celebrations that he got afterward. Uh, the multiple touchdowns, the fake spin move, all that good stuff.
1: How big do you think his hands are? Did he, was he a combine? To make a one hand. Did he go to the combine? He was. Uh, he had to. I, I see here values from the. I think it's from the. Pro day. Pro day if I'm not mistaken. But uh, his arm like this 29 and 7, 8. So he's got like the Avante Maddox uh, T-Rex arms. But uh, I don't see. I don't see hand size. I was interested when I saw the catch. I'm like he's got to have like the tiniest right. hands.
2: Okay. I will say. Planet. But anyway. Yeah, 29 and 7, 8. For 5, 7 is one thing. Maddox is like five nine five ten Has like 29 and a half. He's a hero. Yeah. yeah. Anytime Maddox makes a pass breakup now, I tweet out his his arm length because I'm just so proud of him. (laughs) But anyway, now, okay, it's time to stop messing around, Mike. It's time to be serious. It's time to give the people what they want. Mm. Weeks ago, on this podcast, I may or may not have said that Anthony Rush was my favorite player on the Philadelphia Eagles and they should have cut him on the very next day. Turns out half of that was correct. He is my favorite player on the Eagles. (laughs) I would buy his jersey tomorrow. If not for the fact that I think he will not be number 66 in the immediate future. Because the Eagles are 100% keeping him. Because he's not bad. Now, he doesn't fit the Jim Schwartz mold. And so they probably are going to get rid of him. But he has played clearly well enough to be a rotational player somewhere. He's put out a great film. He's throwing little pass rush moves. Look at the Anthony rush. I'm out here going to do an arm over. Go for (laughs) it. Every single rush that's a ball rush works. Because he's massive, and he also continues to be one of the most impressive hustle players on the team, but only if yeah. you watch him very closely. Because if you're not watching right. for him, you just think he's moving at the same speed as everybody else, because he is. <laughs> but he's trying so much harder to reach that top speed, <laughs> and I love him yeah. unconditionally.
1: Would you still die for him?
2: Yes. I feel like the second he stops becoming number 66 and is like number like 95, I'm going to like him way less. But 66... Is what kills me.
1: How long do you think it takes him to get his first sack? And by how long, I mean from snap <laughs> to sack.
2: Like, not like what game. You'd be like, what's the duration right. of the quarterback's time in the pocket? <laughs> like, honestly, the the, the problem, like, ah, the Eagles, if they have good rush lane integrity, like, he'll probably get a cleanup sack at some point. If he continues to play this many snaps, he's taking like, 30 snaps a game. I don't think it'll be this year. They're probably going to play one more game this year, maybe two. Yeah. Oh man,
1: he's gonna get a cleanup sack. It's gonna be one of the most hustlest cleanup sacks. I want, in the no, I of want man. him
2: to get like a, a sack where like the quarterback's like trying to escape up the pocket and just like you know like like uh, like Run. you know like like he's like tries to like flit into the B gap, see somebody's there, tries to bounce back into the A gap, and Rush is just standing there like doesn't even expect him to show up. Quarterback just runs into Anthony Rush. It's like with like a one yard sack, but it goes in the statue. does the sack, <laughs> and Rush has like a huge <laughs> celebration. And that's my ultimate goal. Anthony Rush is my hero. I love him to death. Eagles should never cut him. Ever. want we'll to make that very clear. That's the new policy on the podcast. But he's been playing, He's, he's in all seriousness, he's been playing decent rotational ball as of late. Like you oh, said, yeah. Jimmy Jurgen's been playing well. The defensive tackle rotation is, is shoring up pretty nicely.
1: That is going to do it for this film review recap of the Eagles and the Giants. We are going to have preview shows coming your way all week. QB Sco show will be out later today. Of course, we'll have our regular set of two preview shows of the upcoming war with the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe we'll have uh, some special guests from Seahawks Twitter, maybe like a Reef Hassan or something like that to come on and give the Seattle side of the uh, of the matchup. But then for now, for the 500th episode here on BGN, would you say goodbye to the gentle gentle listeners
2: i don't know why you're making me do this okay
1: i've got to edit out edit out so many snippets that's true (laughs)
2: that's it hey thank you for listening to kiss and soul act show here on bgn radio we appreciate it we appreciate you we appreciate this whole year we appreciate this whole decade we are so appreciative of all the things that we do with you and with each other for you for work so thank you (laughs) and rate our podcast and review it. Subscribe to it. Talk to us on Twitter. Michael Kiss, Benjamin Solak. At Michael Kiss NFL. at Benjamin Solak, S-O-L-E-K. Who knows who is who? <laughs> Enjoy your New year celebrations. Be safe, but be fun. Make resolutions. Make those resolutions to listen to us all the time. Then execute. And then be proud of yourself for doing your job. Enjoy the next decade with a Super Bowl win for the Philadelphia Eagles. In which okay. I start at wide receiver, given how things are going. So thank you again send me medicine.
1: <laughs> Eagles in four, Ben?
2: No, Eagles in five. They're going to play a, a, a recreation game against the, I guess, a, a two AFC teams. They're going to be the Ravens and the Chiefs, just to show them that they can.
1: We all we got. <laughs> we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.